Thank you for listening to the Martinis and the Macabre podcast. This show contains graphic content and explicit language. It is intended for immature adult audiences. Listener discretion is advised. So I went to the store today because you told me we had to get toilet paper and Lunchables and I went there to get some floor cleaner for the store since I was already, you know, there. And you know how we burn like wax and oil? Mm-hmm. We don't burn incense because I always say it smells like dirt fucked from a hobo. Mm-hmm. Well, I saw candles. I saw one. It's a, it's a like ultimate stress relief candle. I picked it up to sniff it. I couldn't even get it because it fell out of my hands and shattered. <laughs> I thought, you know, that's my life. <laughs> that doesn't sum up my life. I broke the goddamn stress-free candle. Wow. Yeah. Did you run away? Yeah. And act like you had nothing to do with it? No, I found a guy. I was like, some shit broke. <laughs> you didn't tell him it was you, did it? Did no, you? but at that point, I didn't care. If he was like, did you do it? I'm like, yeah, so what? What the fuck are you going to do? Clean it? I don't care. <laughs> Maybe for that instant you were just so relieved of stress that you just couldn't hold on. I don't think the, I don't think the candle wanted me and chose suicide. <laughs> it plummeted to its death rather than be in your grasp. We're not done. So then, oh god! After I went to the car, I went to pull out the leave, and you know the entrance and exit are the same, and there's that curve. Uh huh. Well, we have geese that hang out there. Uh huh. Looked over, and there was this big old goose just standing there, uh-huh. like a black one. Was it a golden goose? I said black just now. And we locked eyes. And I was like, wow, you know, they're actually beautiful. When you look at them, you know, when they're that close and everything. Then right before I left, it went to, like, do the squat and take off and got clipped by a car. <gasps> and I was like, yep, that fucking just... Aww. He's okay. Because, you know, you got you to gotta, you gotta slow down when you turn in. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, it rung his bell. That's for fucking sure. He probably didn't know math for a second. But then he got it back. He was fine. I saw him in the rear view. He was just walking it off. But I was like, yep. Fucking <laughs> goddamn, man. Today was just not a winner for you, huh? No. Well, maybe we can brighten things up with our show here. Yeah, good luck. Welcome to Martinis and the Macabre, the podcast where we drunkenly discuss morbid murders, mysteries, and mayhem. My name's Erica, and I'll be your host this evening, joined by my husband and not-so-stress-relieved co-host, Billy. I have a feeling I'd break my ankle if I did a yoga class or some shit, you know? Yeah, that, that'd be your luck. I'd shit my pants during a guided meditation or something, <laughs> you know? So... We got one tonight that Billy brought to my attention. Sometimes I do awesome. He does. Um, Without further ado, glasses on. Oh, snap. They're new. Fancy. $39glasses.com. They don't sponsor us, but... I sort of got them. That's where we get our glasses. And so I like now them. you know. I like them. <laughs> I've gotten compliments. They're like, you wear glasses? I'm like, God damn, yeah. And... Didn't you see me before? But, yeah. You didn't wear them every day before. Yeah, I keep forgetting. Well, tonight, instead of just telling you outright what this story's about, I want to kind of set the scene. Let's go back to April 27th of 1997. 
A man was walking through a sugarcane field on the outskirts of Medan, the capital of North Sumatra in Indonesia. This man was walking through the sugarcane field, collecting weeds to feed his livestock. And just about 10 yards into the sugarcane field, he noticed an unusual pile of mud. Bum, bum. It had rained the previous day and kind of washed away some of the topsoil. And he was thinking this pile of mud was just really out of place. It really disturbed him. So he went to get his uncle Sugito, the village head, to inform him. Sugito and his nephew returned to the pile. And Sugito recalls, quote, we dug and prodded the mound with a stick, because that's what everyone would do. That's what guys do. <laughs> poke, we poke things poke. with sticks. <laughs> Quote, turned out it smelled of decay. That's when you stop poking. <laughs> that's when you poke more. <laughs> we really are different. You're weird. Like, ah, oh, you smell that? No, <laughs> dude, what would happen really is like you would, with guys, like we would poke you, like, ah, oh, you smell that? Smell the tip of your stick. You smell my stick. So you would chase them. You'd forget there's bodies there. You would just chase them and be like, ah, smell it, smell it, ew. That's so gross. Uh, quote, I came back and reported to my superior. Then he advised the military. The military advised us to dig deeper. What the fuck? The military saying, yeah, go check it out for us. We're too lazy to go check it out ourselves. <laughs> yeah. Like, oh, man. Tell you what, buddy, you're showing great initiative. I'm not going to stop your stride. <laughs> you keep going. He told us to leave the mound alone if it's human. But if they are just animals, it is up to us to decide. <laughs> Go figure out if it's human or animal and get back to us, basically. Hmm. Not, we're going to, like, take over, don't touch it. It could be a potential crime scene. No, you go check it out. So, six men followed by a group of observers went to the site around 7 p.m. and started to dig and eventually unearthed a naked and bloated semi-decomposed body of a young female. Quote, it took us three attempts to recover the body because we kept running away during the dig. I, I admire that. That's what, that's what happens when the military sends these everyday village men to go unearth what could possibly be a body. There's that one guy crying in a corner. Like, I just wanted to poke it with a stick. I didn't want to do this. <laughs> Police were alerted and came to the scene. An onlooker in the crowd thought they maybe recognized the body as belonging to 21-year-old Sri Kamala Dewey. Her family was summoned by police to identify if it was her. And her mother states, quote, Even when I was there, my husband kept denying it was Dewey. The village head asked me to have a look. They only revealed her legs, but I recognized her immediately. Before I could say anything, I lost consciousness. That's understandable. Yeah. Pretty sad. Dewey had left their home three days earlier to run an errand for the family and never returned. In three days, would you bloat? Yes. Okay. She left behind a two-year-old daughter and an estranged husband. When her body was found, a 15-year-old rickshaw puller named Andreas Suido came forward. Quote, The deceased first said, Take me there. And I asked where to. She answered, You'll know later. And she kept it a secret. We were halfway there when she told me she wanted to visit Datuk. I asked what for. She retorted, Don't be so nosy about what my purpose is. She never requested to be picked up. So after I dropped her off, I went home. 
However, she asked me to keep it a secret even from her parents. When Dewey's body was found, Andreas told this story to her family and to the police. Well, the Datuk Dewey had gone to see was a man named Ahmad Suraji, a revered village sorcerer, also known as Dukun A.S., who happened to live very close to the sugarcane field. Now, many Indonesians believe that life in general is governed by some unseen forces, and those forces are controlled by sorcerers like Ahmad and are known as Dukuns. Dukuns act as medicine men, priests, witch doctors, mystics, and masters of ceremonies, rites, and rituals. It's a lot of hats for a person to wear. Yeah. And now, Ahmad was considered the most respected and sought-after sorcerer in the area, known to the villagers as Datuk, which is a title given to men of authority. Ahmad was known as a spiritual curer and was respected for his healing powers by locals. Now, there is some discrepancy on the date Ahmad was born. If you look up Wikipedia, which is not where I got most of this information, Wikipedia and most other sites that just kind of give a general rundown of the story list his date of birth as January 10th, 1949. What I did get most of my information from is an in-depth, like, hour-long documentary, which lists it as December 12th, 1952. I would assume that that's probably more correct, but I can't be certain. But regardless, he was born to Javanese parents. His mother was a housewife, and his father was a subsistence farmer and cattle breeder and practicing sorcerer. You know, when you got your downtime. <laughs> Ahmad was born as Nasib, which means fate in Javanese. He had a troubled childhood, dabbling in petty crimes and getting into fights. Sujito, the village head that helped unearth Dewey's body, was a former neighbor of Ahmad's. Quote, I was here since 1962. We grew up together and even played when we were kids. However, he started to grow evil. Evil in the sense that he committed thefts and got into fights. Which I wouldn't necessarily call that evil. That sounds like... Dickhead. Misguided teenage youth. But by the age of 19, Ahmad was jailed for 10 years for theft and violent behavior. I don't know the specifics of that. Other than he just liked to steal shit and beat people up, I guess. A few years after his release, when he was 31, he did time again for cattle theft. How do you steal a fucking cow? It's easy. You get the bell, and you just keep going, Here, cow, 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 cow. And the cow's like, me? And then you're like, no, the one behind you. Here, cow, 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 cow. And it just follows you back home. Really? Yeah. Fascinating. I stole 52 cows. Wow. Yeah. Where are they? Well, I stole past tens. I cleaned up my act. Got new glasses. Hmm. Created a lot of stress, and I get to keep it now, apparently. <laughs> it slipped through your fingers. <laughs> well, after Ahmad's second stint, he was restless when he got released. He ventured into the jungles of North Sumatra and began trying his own hand in sorcery. Ahmad, quote, My father knew some sorcery, and I aspired to follow in his footsteps. I did not learn sorcery from anyone else but my father, end quote. Ahmad seemed to fall into a fairly unremarkable life after this, farming and cattle breeding. He married three sisters and had nine children with them. 
He was a Muslim and was permitted to have more than one wife, but it was considered blasphemous that he married siblings. So it's okay to marry more than one woman as long as she's not a sibling to the other woman. I don't like the idea altogether. Yeah. I'm totally against polygamy because it just to me, polygamy is nothing more than objectifying a woman. It's making a woman a thing instead of a person because you collect them. Yeah. That's just my opinion. I'm sure there's probably Mormons out there who would disagree. It's just, it looks like you're you're looking at women as a thing instead of a human. Mm-hmm. Because why you have why do you need three women? I, I don't get that. I barely stand the one I have. And and the rule that <laughs> fuck you. <laughs> and the rule that you can marry more than one, but they can't be sisters. That's that doesn't make any sense. I could just see that, too, like at their courthouse or whatever it is they have. They're like, normally we don't do this, but you're a Muslim, so we'll allow it. And the girls are like, oh, man, wait till we tell Dad. And they're like, whoa, whoa, wait, 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 what? Y'all are sisters? <laughs> nah, I'm sorry. We got to, we got to, you know, we got to put our foot down somewhere. Yeah, I, I, I don't understand it. But anyway, his mother, Sartik, opposes the marriages to this day, quote, I wouldn't forbid him to marry two, three, four, five women, but not women who were siblings. Jesus H. Christ. Allah. Oh my my Allah. (laughs) As a Muslim, he shouldn't have done so. We advised him three times, but he was still unrepentant. Oh man. Well, at least they gave it three tries. Yeah. I wonder if the fourth one would have done it. I wonder if the fourth one, he would have been like, God, get off my ass, Naggedy Ann. And then just broke up with him. I doubt it. We'll never know. We'll never know. That's for fucking sure. In his 30s, Ahmad offered services as a sorcerer to his neighbors. Start local. Yep. You want to grow organically. (laughs) Word began to spread of his healing powers, and he soon had a steady stream of visitors seeking help, which included local businessmen and even government officials. But women were the most popular of the visitors, They usually visited for counsel with romantic issues, particularly to cast spells to keep their partners faithful. Maybe you should just pick someone who's going to be faithful. Yeah, there's probably some (laughs) weird, like, cure for it. Like, find a rock on the southern side of a hill and rub it in cow shit counterclockwise three times and then marry your sibling and, you know. Does it have to be a stolen cow? I don't know. That the shit comes from. I never met the guy. Probably, probably stolen. <laughs> we're going to go see uh, Billy Snuggle Bunny Jones. He has a stable full of cows. He keeps them in a stable, yeah. And just go ahead and take your stone and just rub it in the shit. It'll work. Sure. I believe you. And it always goes it goes around like women's like Menzies. Like they'll, they'll be like, do this and this and this. And then when you start bleeding, do this. Something awful with this. Something down there. They're, you know, it's always like that. Or, or they'll be like... <laughs> They'll be like, take your finger and put it in there and get some blood. Put it underneath his nose while he sleeps. He'll stay faithful. And you're like, no, that's just gross. Yeah. There's always disgusting. some weird, you know, like witch doctors and shit. There's always something weird having to do with menstruation. Don't do not do anything with your menstrual blood, please. That's just so gross. Boil it down into into a jelly and then make lozenges out of it. Ew. You know what I mean? I'm not saying I'm all for it, but if, if I went there, it was like, make sure your wife's menstrual blood. I'd be like, here we go. Here we go. <laughs> Fucking knew it. I called it in the car. As soon as I saw that geese get hit. <laughs> Goose. 
Goose, director Joko Supriano, who made a movie about Ahmad called Dukun A.S. after interviewing him in person, stated, quote, His clients were mostly females from various professions. There were sex workers who wanted to have more customers. There were wives who had disagreements with their husbands. All of them came to find a shortcut solution to the problems they faced, and they believed that Ahmad Siraji could offer them a quick way out. End quote. But these women were too embarrassed to tell their loved ones about their visits. There's no quick way out, man. You want to, if, you, if you want it, you got to work for it. Uh, they would beg to differ. I'm just saying. This man was magical. He was a sorcerer. Yeah. But he do could you, do shit. Do you have heart and determination? If you dream it, you can achieve it. Let's continue. <laughs> yeah, these women were too embarrassed to tell their loved ones about their visits, so they went to Ahmad, but no one knew they went to Ahmad. So when the young rickshaw driver went to the police with the information that he had taken Dewey to Ahmad's house the day before she disappeared... He was very quick to point out that he was faithful. <laughs> well, after this information, police wanted to have a little talky talk with Ahmad... He denied having anything to do with Dewey's death, but said he did visit the crime scene while they were digging up her body. Oh. My. God. What? You mean to tell me he's also a fucking liar? You don't know that. Maybe he didn't. We haven't gotten there. I'm starting to think he's a little fucking dishonest. A little dishonest Daryl over here. Well... Not really believing any of his uh, denials. It'd be great if the police were like that, too. You know what? I believe him. I don't know why, but I do. <laughs> they didn't believe it, and upon searching his house, several incriminating items were found, including Dewey's handbag, dress, and charm bracelet, among other women's items. <laughs> Those findings started an interrogation of Ahmad that stretched over a four-day period, as police suspected there may have been more than one victim based on the items found in the house. Sarge, this can't be right. Remember, he said he didn't have anything to do with it. You're right. He did. He did. He did. Well, who's this? All right. Pack it up, guys. Who wanted to frame him? (laughs) Slowly over the four days, Ahmad began to crack and confess. But not just to killing Sri Kamala Dewey. He confessed to much more. He recounted a series of murders dating back more than a decade, starting in 1986, 11 years prior. And in between those, get ready, guys. you want to tell him or should I? Go ahead. He didn't rewind his videotapes before he brought them back. He was not kind. He did not rewind. It was hard for me to get that sentence out. I have something in my eye. Excuse me? Sage didn't like it either. He did not cry during the movie Up. Yeah. You didn't cry. I got a little teary-eyed first time I watched it. I sobbed my fucking eyes out. It's like, fucking Disney? All right, I think those were your words. Yeah. Fucking Disney. You know, I think if you can uh, make it through the movie Up and not cry, um, we should have you checked out. Like, you yeah, should probably... You're a sociopath. Something's wrong with you. You're a broken human being. <laughs> Like, somebody should sit you down and be like, how was your childhood? Do you want to talk about it? You know what I mean? You know, you expect that in, like, the third 
quarter of the movie. Not in the first. Some, not three the first minutes. ten minutes of the movie. Just oh god, it got me, and I was pregnant too, and it was hormonal and Dude, it was bad. I wasn't pregnant, and I'm watching it like, oh my god, she fell going up the hill. Oh my god, he's alone in his own chair. Oh. Spoiler alert. Cheers, empty Jesus. Is it a spoiler alert? It's like the first five minutes of the movie. Anyone who hasn't seen Up, if you're a good human, you should watch it. And at the end, spoiler alert, when she put the very last thing in the photo, I was like, thank you for the adventure. Go have one of your own. I'm like, oh my God, I have to go outside and do something. (laughs) Man stuff. All right. So we strayed away. Oh, dead people. Yeah. He first admitted to nine murders. Yeah. But those murders slowly grew until eventually Ahmed confessed to... Hamad. Hamad, you do the sentence. Okay, I'll sentence the fuck out of you. That's probably what the judge told him. (laughs) (laughs) Knock, knock with the gavel, motherfucker. (laughs) About to sentence the fuck out of you. He first admitted to nine murders... But those numbers slowly grew larger until eventually Ahmad confessed to... Wait for it. Drumroll. 42 murders! Ugh. Quote, We are all human beings. We have our own strengths and weaknesses. If I remember correctly, I've murdered 42 women. I didn't suspect I was going to get caught. I did not try to run away when I saw the police because I had resigned my fate. Which is what his name means in Javanese. If he resigned his fate, then why did he lie in the first place? Say so had nothing to do with it. Uh, last ditch effort, maybe? Last hurrah? That's one of those things that went no, through No, 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 guys. It's <laughs> totally not me. It's one of those things that went through his head as the cops were coming up like, eh, <laughs> give it a shot. Yeah. <laughs> Throw, Throw it against, at us. Throw it against the wall. See if it sticks. I don't know. Shut <laughs> So, over the four days of interrogation, after Ahmad first admitted to more than just Dewey's murder, officials, of course, had already begun to excavate parts of the sugarcane fields to try to find those victims. But as the numbers grew, the manpower needed for the search had to grow with them. Journalist Ismanto Ismail recalls, quote, An interesting point is that we approached a Javanese paranormal to aid us in our search for the corpses. These are officials searching for a body. Hey, each culture's different. They probably believe in that, and they probably think we're assholes for not believing in it. It's okay. It became so crowded there that it started to get rowdy like a night market, which, you know, would never happen here in the U.S. They would not allow a crowd right up where they're excavating, but... In the documentary, you can actually see footage. This crowd is huge. Hundreds of people just standing around grapes. And they're like holding up bones and shit for everyone to see. Weird. Anyway, quote, A lot of reporters came, even the foreign media. There was difficulty in finding so many bodies, so much so that bulldozers were called in to hasten the search. Ismail stated, quote, from my observation, the excavation process consumed a lot of time and manpower, including the police, the army, and government officials. It was stopped because a lot of them couldn't be identified anymore. Personally, I believe that there were more than 42 victims. End quote. In total, there was Dewey's semi-decomposed body, 
four other mostly decomposed bodies that could not be visually identified. See, now I wonder how many people in that big group were people looking to see if the next body that came up was with their kid that ran away. Possible. So we've got Dewey's body, the four that still had some meat on the bones, but they couldn't identify them. And then all the rest were just skulls and bones. This was all sent to the forensics lab in Medan, and they concluded that there were 42 victims, all female, between the ages of 17 and 40. Now, other sources I've seen claim the youngest as possibly being 11, but the forensic pathologist who worked on this actually spoke on the documentary himself, and he said 17 to 40. So I'm going to assume that that is the correct age range. I don't think there were any children, you know, possibly older teenagers, but... Yeah, he probably had morals. No young children. I'm not saying he had morals. I'm saying no 11-year-old is going to be like, oh, I need a sorcerer to help me with my problems. I know, but... I'm 11. I know, but what 11-year-old <laughs> really doesn't, you know, notice a person and be like, hey, you want some candy? Get in the van. And I don't know of an 11-year-old who could pay a sorcerer to help fix their problems. You don't know their financial status. Were you making bank at 11? I was comfortable. I was comfortable. Comfortable? What, what's comfortable? Yeah. How much? Um, let's just say... Your mom let you pick out a toy in the toy aisle at the grocery store? It's a cereal aisle. But <laughs> let's just say that um, I didn't have to wait for the free previews to watch Fraggle Rock. So, uh, kind of a big deal over here. I got a taste for the finer things in life. Because you had HBO... And Cinemax. It's a package deal. I don't expect you to understand. And HBO. Oh. Oh, I have a confession. Mom, I really did order all that porn when I lived at home. Remember, Billy. Remember Spice TV? You had to order it, pay-per-view. And I, I would order one. And wow, this is back like when I was like 13 or 14. And I would just be like, scream all you want, penis. Nobody's going to hear you. And I went to work, and the bill came. <laughs> My mom's like, "What's this?" I'm like, "I'm sorry. I thought I was ordering Jurassic Park. I hit the wrong thing. I didn't. I didn't." Billy, confession time. Are there any more you need to tell? Because mm. Ahmad had like 42 confessions. Mm. I teared up at work when I read a quote. That's a confession. No. But I read a quote and I got kind of teary-eyed. I'm sorry, Hen. I found out Steve Irwin's wife hasn't dated a man since he died. A reporter asked why, and she said, I already had my happily ever after. That's sad. That's sweet, though. Yeah. Okay. Now back to murder. <laughs> so, the pathologist said that they were all female, probably between 17 and 40, as just a guesstimate. Since there was no viable tissue on almost all of the deceased, DNA testing was pretty much rendered useless. They, they couldn't test anybody because they had nothing to test. On April 30th, Ahmad, the 45-year-old sorcerer, was arrested and charged for 42 murders. I don't get it. I don't get it. Whatever happened to calling the doctor in the morning after you put the lime in the coconut? Whatever happened to that shit? God, there's better doctors out there. <laughs> you want a doctor? 
He was a sorcerer. No, it's a witch doctor. Oh, yeah. Doctor's a doctor. In interviews, Ahmad claimed that in 1986, he remembered something he saw when he was 10 years old. He had a dream or saw a ghostly apparition of his father in which he told Ahmad to drink the saliva of dead young women to attain invincibility. That's the grossest fucking thing I've ever heard. That is completely fucking nasty. That is fucking gross. And nothing much in this world really grosses me out, but that really grosses me out. I can't even think of somebody drinking spit. Now, like, when in, like, the bedroom, then, you know, kind of anything goes. You could probably tell me to do whatever you want, and I'll probably fucking do it. But if you're like, I gotta go, and I gotta take a shot of spit, I'm probably gonna catch the house on fire that you're in. Not much grosses me out. Don't ever French kiss me again. <laughs> that makes me sick. It is pretty gross. I spent the whole day that I was researching this trying not to think about swallowing spit. That's... Uh, uh, you know it would coat the glass? Uh, oh, God. Okay, Ew. okay. Ew. And, and, and his father? Wait, wait, wait. Palate cleanser. Play the palate cleanser. Okay. All right. Things are a little better. But his father said not just one or two women, 70! <laughs> Oh, God, play it again. (laughs) 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 Quote, My father did not specifically advise me to kill people, so I was thinking it would take ages if I have to wait to get 70 women because I was trying to get it as fast as possible. They're not just going to give up that mouth juice. I I mean... (laughs) How many dead women do you come across in your life that you could drink the spit from? Well, I'm a nurse and I watch people die pretty regularly. And I've probably only had less than 10 females out of the ones I've seen die that I've come across in 10 years as a nurse. That would take a while. Yeah, I understand if you're in a hurry. I wonder if he just kind of held him captive and was like, keep spitting in that bucket. No, it has to be dead women. Oh, uh, yeah, that's right. Dead women. 70 dead women. I wonder if he just ripped out the tongue and wring it like a towel. <laughs> what would make it worse is if he hated it. <laughs> he'd have a little shot glass and spit. He'd be like, oh, God, okay. Let's just... <laughs> Psych himself up. Whew. Do it for dad. Whew. Do it for dad. Here we go. <laughs> Yeah. Uh, uh, that's so gross. <laughs> he said, quote, I took my own initiative to kill. That was the reason why from 1986 until now I killed 42 women. End quote. Now, Ahmad's method was quite effective. He killed them. <laughs> <laughs> the women coming to him were too embarrassed to tell anyone where they were going, or they were women that wouldn't easily be noticed missing. So when they did come up missing, no one connected them to Ahmad because everything was a secret. No one knew they were going there. So when they would visit, he would evaluate their spiritual needs and charge them a fee, which has mostly been quoted around $300. I don't know if that's their currency or American dollars, but around $300. You gotta get that money, man, because you got nine, 12 mouths to feed. Yeah. Once they paid, he led them to the sugarcane field. Ahmad actually had to reenact the murders at the crime scene <laughs> as a part of a police recreation, and they filmed it. She, really, 
She was all, eh. <laughs> and the cops were just sitting there watching him. And you can see this in the documentary. And I found it on a website, but it is a YouTube video. Um, and I'll have to put the link in the description of where it is. I was but like, uh, uh, uh. she was like, uh, stop it. Uh. He, he shows exactly how everything went down. So he'd lead him to the field. And then he would have a hole already dug out or mostly dug out. And he would inform the customer that as part of a ritual, he needed to bury them up to their waist. So he would have them sit in the hole with their legs stretched out in front of them. And he would bind their wrist and then crouch or sit next to their heads. Clinical psychologist Erna Minali stated, quote, A lot of women wanted to get help from Ahmad Siraji, and they obeyed and followed what he said, even though it was illogical, end quote. So Ahmad, once they were in position, he proceeded with one hand to pinch off their trachea using his thumb on one side and fingers on the other, actually pinching between his thumb and fingers. And then the other hand, while he was doing that, he would reach his other hand around, cover their nose and mouth, basically strangling and suffocating them at the same time. Once they were dead, he would crouch over and suck that precious sweet, sweet saliva out of their mouths. Oh. <laughs> oh. Slurp it up from it's a so dead woman. fucking gross. <laughs> Ooh. You know yeah. what I would do, honestly, if I was him? And this is the technique I was using. If this is what I, what I committed to doing... I would be like, okay, we're going to go out to this field. We have to perform a ritual. There's going to be a hole. Don't freak out. Um, could you do me a solid? See that jug of pineapple juice over there? Just be a pal and just drink all of that right now. <laughs> that way, when I'm about to just become like the movie Sleepwalkers and suck the life force out the bitch, I'll be like, well, ah, pina colada, let's do it. That's got to help. And, and that's pretty much what he thought. He thought that the saliva from his victims would then incorporate their power into himself. The movie Sleepwalkers. Spit. Spit has power. Spit. I don't think it does. Loogies. I don't think it does. I don't either. I think it just lubricates your food and helps Mm -mm. you put Mm -mm. it down. Don't like it. Mm -mm. Nope. And if women were in short supply, he would hire sex workers under the guise of assisting with a ritual. And then he just murdered them instead. A spitual. (laughs) (laughs) That was good. (laughs) You get it because he drank spit. I got it. It was a plan or ritual. Uh, yeah, I got it. Oh, okay. I'm sure everyone else got it too. Okay. You've only explained it twice now. You see, there's a ritual. Yeah, yeah. Right? He wanted to go for the spit. <laughs> Remember, he thought it would make him invincible? So now I was like, spit you. Yep. <laughs> Dork. <laughs> I'll explain it to you later, honey. It's okay. Oh my God. <laughs> you fucking have. I gotta find a way to light this up because I'm just thinking of a guy crying drinking spit. (laughs) Well, once his quote-unquote ritual was complete, he would strip the bodies and bury them with their heads facing toward his home so their spirits would have a direct path to him. Some creepy-ass little fucking Brussels sprouts. (laughs) 
Ahmad would recount the murder of Dewey during his interviews, the only victim to have had a direct connection to him via an eyewitness. She had gone to Ahmad in hopes he could get her back with her estranged husband. Quote, she was scared because we had to walk through a cemetery to get to the sugarcane plantation. Yeah, I get it. Yeah, okay, sure. Little did she know she was actually being led to Ahmad's own personal cemetery. Yeah. But... Yeah, yeah, and you're a guest. Okay. Quote... Let me show you where you're going to spend fucking eternity. (laughs) Quote, I told her it was fine. She said to me, I am scared. Ask your wife to accompany me. Dewey was the one asking my wife to come along. That's how my wife got to know about the murders. End quote. We'll get into that in a minute. He kept reassuring her that her wish would come true, even as he staged her in the hole and crouched beside her to strangle her. Don't worry, I got this. Quote, It took approximately 10 to 15 minutes to kill her. I don't need that much saliva. It's just a requisite. So he fought with this woman for upwards of 15 minutes just to get a little bit. Just just a little bit of spit. Just a little thimbleful. That's all I need. And that's all I need. (laughs) He remarked on stripping the body. Quote, if I bury her without any lining, her body would decompose faster. Is that true? Mm, possibly. The parts that are covered by the clothing don't seem to decompose as fast as parts that are exposed. Oh, okay. Fair enough. It makes it more difficult for animals, bacteria, insects to get to the skin and... Creepy guy, Steve. Sure. Yeah. That too. I rolled her clothes and put them inside plastic bags. I brought two with me, and then I headed home. End quote. Night over. Going home. Time to punch out. Three days later, the mound of mud marking Dewey's burial site would be discovered by Sugito's nephew. On December 11th of 1997, the four-month trial against Ahmad Siraji began. The prosecution was seeking the death penalty, as I would expect any prosecution to do when you have a man who's killed 42 women. But his defense lawyer claimed that there was hardly any evidence tying him to each of these unidentified victims. Apart from like the is, confession and the re-dramatization. Yeah, but if you're looking at hard evidence, yeah, he had some women's stuff in his house, but they couldn't identify these skeletons. So technically, there really wasn't much I evidence. I guess if you're splitting hairs... He also said that the community marked him as guilty from the start, saying, quote, The trial was mostly affected by social opinions. Well, when he said I did it. Yeah. You know, know, when you have a community where 42 women have been killed and buried in this plantation with their heads facing this man's house, you know, but you do have that detailed confession and, and the reenactment he provided on video for the police. But Ahmad retracted his confession during the trial and denied it all, saying he only confessed under the duress of police brutality and torture. But he could explain exactly how each one of these women died and where they were at and yada, yada, yada. And fucking sucked spit. Who would think to make that up? His wives were also arrested in connection with the murders with prosecutors claiming they were involved in the planning and preparation leading up to the ritual murders. Journalist Ismanto Ismail claims, quote, the wives weren't involved directly with the murder, 
However, they did help to prepare. It was one of his wives who led the victims to the crime scene. That's the first wife. The second wife only saw the victims inside the house. So did the third wife. End quote. Erna Minali, the clinical psychologist, stated, quote, The most important role of his wife was to spread the information that their husband was a great man, has magical powers, and to persuade other people to use their husband's service. Damn. So basically, they were just a big ad campaign. Talk me up, boo. Mm-hmm. Locals believed his motive was not invincibility, but was actually sexual in nature and for the theft of money and personal items. I wonder if historians did that, too, like... Nowhere in the history of written mankind does it say, gobble up that spits. Uh. Man, you know what? Now that women are involved in MMA and everything, he'd make a killing just at a fight. Oh, that spit. He'd be like, let me get that bucket. Here's five bucks. <laughs> oh, a bucket of spit. Ew. Bloody spit. Ew, 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 this is worse than the London Street beer flood with the horse shit. And, ew. Ew. Because it's slimy. Yuck. Yeah. Mm. That's up there with snot. Let's not even go there. I can handle a lot. When you start talking about snot and loo- oh, the That's the one thing I cannot stand doing is like suctioning a trach. And the globs that come out. Ooh. I hear you. Like this it. one time when I was a kid, when the other kid was making like one of those yo-yos with a spit, and I was like, cut it out. I hear you. Yeah. You totally get me. Yep. We were meant to be together. Yeah. We relate so well. A fucking kid spitting a loogie has nothing to do with a trach. It was kind of green, so... Oh, okay. Yeah, you get yeah, it. Yeah, I get it. God, egg on your face. <laughs> <laughs> so... Examiners for it's the consistency of some spit. Ew. What? Eggs. Dude. <laughs> yeah, no, I can't stop thinking about eggs. It'd be like drinking egg whites. Ew. Oh, <laughs> <laughs> oh my god. Ah. <laughs> it's so nasty. <laughs> Fuck you. Fuck that. Indonesia, you crazy? No. <laughs> okay, okay. Whew. Examiners were unable to determine if there were any sexual assaults, as most of the victims were skeletonized. But Ahmad denies any sexual motives to the crimes. In an interview, he was asked if he also took the women's jewelry along with the clothes, which he admitted to doing, quote, but only occasionally. And he was then asked if he raped them as well, and he stated, no, never. He has morals. Good guy, Ahmed. Actually, it's Ahmad. Ahmad. The director who interviewed him claims that he asked Ahmad why he did all of these things, and that Ahmad stated it was an easy way to make money. But if you're killing your clientele, I mean, wouldn't returning customers make more money? Yeah, you don't get a club card that you scan, you that's know, for sure. You weren't successful in fixing their problem the first time, so they come back with more money? So I'm not sure I buy that. Local media began denouncing Ahmad as a magical sorcerer, claiming that if he was, he could have evaded imprisonment by just becoming invisible after his arrest and slipping away. Wait. He didn't do that. Wait. Is, so he's not magic. Is it invisible or invincible? Invisible. 
I they wouldn't see him. No, I'm saying drinking the spit. That makes him no, invincible. They're saying he's not a sorcerer at all. Oh, a sor- any sorcerer. You don't have to drink yeah, spit. Yeah, he does not have magic because if he did, he could have become invisible. You know, they're not wrong. That's what their media said. Sure. You seen Harry Potter? They put that cloak on and then like he disappears. I get it. Right. Yeah. It was said that during the trial, Ahmad exhibited, quote, a lack of consciousness and seemed, quote, impassive, showing no emotion. Psychologist Erna states, quote, My assessment for this case, I make a hypothesis that Ahmad Suraji is a man with antisocial personality disorder or well known as psychopath. Ahmad Suraji committed homicide in compos mentis, which means he did it in full awareness. It means he is not insane, even though a lot of people who learn about sorcery become insane people. I don't know where she's getting that information from. You can just be curious about shit. (laughs) But in my opinion, he did it in full awareness because of his belief to get powerful magic. End quote. On April 27th of 1998, the trial came to a close and Ahmad was convicted and sentenced to the death penalty. His first wife, Tumini, was also convicted and sentenced to death for her role, though her sentence was later overturned to life in prison. The other two wives avoided jail and moved out of the region because they were like, we ain't got time for this. While the trial had been going on and Ahmad and his wife were detained, angry villagers, disgusted with the cruel murders, ransacked and destroyed his house. I mean, they leveled it. All that was left was some concrete where his bathroom and an outdoor goat pen once stood. And you can see it in the documentary. They worked that place over. They did. It reminds me of what the the angry mob did to Delphine Lalaurie. Yeah. They came in and tore shit up. Despite many appeals and lasting 10 years in prison, Ahmad's sentence was carried out on July 10th of 2008 by Firing Squad. You want to know his last words? Joke, son, you fuck faces. I gobbled up so much fucking spit. This is nothing. Literally, guys, literally, take your best shot. <laughs> and they did. He was shot in the chest and died within three minutes, which is a hell of a lot faster than poor Dewey died. You think they did the uh, one blank execution? Mm-hmm. I don't know how they roll in Indonesia. Sometimes I think that's worse. The one blank. You know what I'm talking about? Mm-hmm. Because you'd never know. You'd probably want some closure. For those of you that don't know, during a firing squad, one person is given a blank round. Well, they're given a rifle that's loaded. And inside one of the rifles is a blank round. And that way, when you fire, you're not sure if the one you fired was a blank or the bullet that killed them. So you never have the guilt of knowing you took somebody's life. But to me, it's like... Now, if it were me, I'd kind of want to know because then I'd be like, well, now I'll never know and it's going to bother me for the rest of my fucking life. Well, you know, if, if you can pay someone to be an executioner and behead people, why can't you just pay someone to be an executioner and pull out a sniper rifle and just blow somebody's head off? I don't know. I mean, if someone's willing to be an executioner, give them a gun. Yeah, it'd be weird if it was all just one guy. You clock in, you're like, what we got? It's like, well, you got a beheading at two. And then uh, we got you perched up over at the courthouse. You're going to be sniping a guy. <laughs> Does he know I'm going to snipe him? Yeah, yeah, he knows. Okay. And then we got to pencil you in for a mid-afternoon gallows hanging. It's my son's birthday. 
we gotta get it done. Am I getting double time? Sure. I'll do it. You'll we'll, we'll give you a bonus. My kid will understand. <laughs> yeah, so died pretty quick. And when his body was being taken for burial in his village, which is the same place that all the murders took place, angry and protesting villagers blocked the police vehicle carrying Ahmad's body from proceeding. They were like, we don't want that bag of shit here. His body actually had to be relocated to three different places before it was allowed for him to be buried. So he ended up being buried in a hamlet 50 kilometers away in Delhi, Serdang on July 11, 2008. Good riddance, douche pickle. Deuces. Strangely, though, 80 villagers had been reported missing in the area to the local police station in the village, which raises the question of whether there are more unknown victims and whether the right decision was made to stop the excavation after 42 victims were found. We may never know. So there could have been more, or it could have been an accomplice, like Scream. I mean, he could have just submitted to 42 because 42 was all they found, and they were like, we can't keep doing this, we can't even identify him. And he was just like, yep, 42. I wonder if he had some weird, like, you know, like Facebook lawyers are, they're like, well, they can't give you a death penalty, they have to institutionalize you after 42. I'm just going to give him 42. And they're like, we're going to give you a death penalty. We're going for a death penalty. He's like, ah, fucking <laughs> damn it. Yeah, so it's, I mean, you got to think over 11 years. He had 11 years to murder these people. Could have been a lot more. I like to think he tried to make himself invisible. <laughs> he tried with everything uh, he had. Yeah, like, yeah, like a Krieger. Or, yeah, is it Krieger? An archer? Mm-hmm. Smoke bomb! <laughs> Just ran off. <laughs> he tried to build up all the spit in his mouth. <laughs> Thinking it would cloak him. <laughs> I must feel bad for all those victims. They went to the afterlife with cotton mouth. Oh. <laughs> Walking around in heaven, if that exists. They're just like, you okay? Like, God. Do you have some water? Anything? I am like, my mouth is sticky. It's going to sound weird, but can you just spit in my mouth for the love of God? <laughs> and that's the name of the episode. <laughs> spit in my mouth? Yeah. Okay. <laughs> Found it. And don't have to come up with it on the fly, <laughs> which I usually do. We're good. Yeah. All right, Hell guys. Yes, dude. Dude, I found the topic and I found the title. Mm-hmm. <laughs> This is great. Good well, job, Billy. You found a title, but I just handed it to you. Did you do any Billy Pendant research? Mm, no, I was at work. Yeah. I researched it. Yay! And I helped. <laughs> <laughs> All right, guys, we hope you enjoyed this episode. If you did, please get on iTunes, give us a rating and a review. Go on Stitcher, any other app where it gives you the option to do so. That would help us greatly. If you know someone who might like the show, let them know about it. See if that weirdo would like us too. Follow us on Facebook, Twitter, Instagram. Facebook and Instagram is Martinis and the Macabre. And Twitter is Martinis underscore Macabre. Follow our Facebook fan page, Friends Who Like Martinis and the Macabre. Uh, I'm sorry I haven't been around much. I've been working a lot of overtime. We're really short-staffed. And uh, I've, I've 
plan on getting in touch with you guys soon. I promise we're still working on the Patreon thing. But in the meantime, go to our website, martinisinthemacabre.com. There's a bio page. There's a music page with all the music that you've heard from Phaser765 last season and this season. Of course, we want to thank him for the music that we include at the end of every episode and the thumbnail artwork that you see every week for our show. He's amazing. Go check him out. You can find him on YouTube, SoundCloud, and there is a link to his Patreon on our website. If you want to drop us a line, tell us what you think, suggest a topic, you can email us at martinisinthemacabre at gmail.com or on the website on our contact page. And we want to thank our dear friend Kate for the little care package she just sent us. I Mm -hmm. saw that. It was nice. We loved it. Thank you so much. And our podcast friends, based on a true crime, they also sent us some stickers. We really appreciate it, guys. So go listen to Based on a True Crime and Ignorance was Bliss. And you guys, let them know what you think. Give them some good iTunes reviews. They're buddies of ours. So go listen. I found a new podcast called Hoosier Homicide. Oh. Got in contact with them. So give them a listen too. Yeah. I've not heard of them. I'll have to check them out. Yeah, you have to because they're, um, I can't review them because um, I have an Android and I'm on Stitcher. Mm-hmm. But <clears throat> I found them on Player FM, but you have iOS. So I kind of need you to go on there and listen to it and review them. Okay. So yeah, listen to that one too. So that's based on it. True Crime, Ignorance is Bliss, and Hoosier Homicides. Mm-hmm. Hoosier Homicide. Homicide. Yep. Singular. Yeah. All right. Go listen to them, guys. We have some good stuff lined up in the near future. Maybe do a crossover episode with somebody. So stay tuned for that. Make sure you subscribe so you always have us in your feed. And uh, with that, I think that's the end of the show. So stay safe. And we'll see you in two weeks. Bye. Bye.
the other night, me and Nugget let out Sage and were just looking out the patio doors, you know. And it was clear out. He was like, oh, there's so many stars. I'm like, yeah, there is. He's like, Dad, do stars ever die? And I'm like, yeah, they do after time. He said, how do they die? I'm like, I don't know. Usually heroin. 